Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey gang, Red Hills Rancher here with a bonus episode of Ranching Reboot. And I got a special guest today, old friend of mine. We kind of grew up together. Our, our fathers knew each other back in the 80s. Um, our mothers knew each other. So we kind of have a history together and we had a great conversation um, coming up about clean food and cows and meat. We even kind of dip a little bit into the Easter Day Farms conspiracy and uh, and what's going on there with Tyson. Talked about antibiotic use and feedlots and a little bit of the market manipulation and getting a fair price. And lastly, we kind of dove a little bit into the carcass size. So this isn't the full conversation. This is just a little bit of it. The rest of it was just between him and I. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, before I introduce my guest, a couple other things I want to tell you about him. He is a two-time cancer survivor. That's right. He has survived. He's beat cancer twice. He's my neighbor, my friend. Brennan Wheelock. So, so theoretically, you know, just like with your experience with changing your diet and helping you get over cancer twice, yeah. you know, let's extend that out to how we feed our livestock. Okay. So we feed them a lot of, you know, processed grains now you know dry distillers grains wet distillers grains you know okay so that's a semi-processed product it's had a lot of the sugars removed from it right you know and those things are you know all those crops are grown usually in a monoculture system and they have to use a lot of herbicides and pesticides in order to keep the crop healthy and protect it you know crop protection that's just oh the term crop protection bothers me so much (laughs) i mean like it's what it let's call it what it is it's chemical warfare against nature is what it is yeah a lot of those uh a lot of those chemicals were developed because of war well they came out of you know a a lot of them can trace their roots back to um nazi weapons programs in in world war one and even back to world war two or uh, i'm sorry world war two and back to to world war one i mean and and some of these same companies are still you know, that produced chemicals during the Holocaust, some of these companies uh-huh. literally still exist and operate under almost the same name. Yeah, I've just learned all that in the last couple of months, too. I mean, that that just that should just blow everybody's mind. And that was so, one of the so assets of my... Whoop, go ahead. So we were back, you know, back to talking about, like, herbicide and pesticide residue. You know, we all we know it's on the crop. And maybe it's an amount so small that you can't really detect it. And then we're feeding it, you know, to cattle or to other livestock. And, you know, it takes seven pounds of grain to make one pound of beef. 
So all no, these I toxins, so. all these toxins, you know, they all build up, you know, they're in the feed that, that all gets sprayed. They're in all the crops that get sprayed that we process into feed. And then we put them into the, into the animal that stand in a feedlot. Have you, have you ever seen a healthy liver from a feedlot animal? No, that's where it's, uh, that's where it shows up is a lot of them have bad lungs and livers. So like, and I think, and I think this was even a problem with a lot of cattle back, you know, last year, you know, when the, when the supply chain totally or started to break down and, right. and plants backed up and, you know, feedlots backed up. And you had, you know, two month over finished cattle that were standing in a feedlot that weighed, you know, 1800 pounds and they weren't healthy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, you know, it's like, they we're, started feeding those cattle. Well, just like the whole problem with the frames, we've been producing a product because it's cheaper to buy the animal once and put twice as much weight on them than it is to buy the animal twice. Yeah. That's why we've been injecting all this grain size to put up, pack all that meat on. But who well, who benefits more from a big animal producer, that's inefficient to keep? Yeah, it's made the producer's program way more inefficient because of it. But that's I'm what that's what all that. the industries told us to do. Make your cattle yeah. bigger. Make your cattle bigger. We need bigger carcass size. You need this carcass trait. You need this carcass trait. I mean, every podcast you listen to you know, that's, that's, con, you know, more on the conventional production side. That's what all the ads are screaming at you to do. You need this carcass trait. You need this breed. You need this, you need this. And you know, okay, we need to look past breed and start looking at what genetics suit our environment. Yeah. That's a, it's information I was oblivious to naive feel stupid about it now fighting this battle out here against an invisible something that i thought was invisible and then you then it's in front of your face all of a sudden you know and i know we're going we're going broke and creating a product for a for a man a system that's stealing from us losing liquid you, you learn things the first time that happens to you. Yeah. You I, better. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't, you might not get a second try. Right. And, you know, there's two ways out of it. Okay. There's two ways out of it. Number one is we start reducing our reliance on inputs. We start making more of what, of what we can have with just sunshine and rain. You know, we, we make the most of our native forages. We get better at using them and we re reduce all of our synthetic inputs. Yep. The second thing that we can do to really start changing right. things is we got to have a grassroots effort in every community that's in cattle country to have small packing plants like, yes. and just a, just a big enough packing plant to serve the needs of the community. That's all it has to be. So we're not right. talking about totally dismantling, you know, the sale barn feedlot commodity system. Right. That's not right. what we're talking about. What we're talking about is is food security and brand prosperity back to rural America by putting small local meat plants everywhere. 
because that puts more money that's, that's more money in the rancher's pocket that's more money coming back to the rancher's gate and that's a lot more money staying in that in community, community and providing exactly. a lot of great jobs for the community i mean there's a lot of food around here it's crazy that we have these cows readily available we send them to pratt you know just your your cows that you're done with that are not producing age anymore yeah you're going to cows you have a problem you know your colds that's what these grocery stores buy back. They're not buying the good meat that's corn-fed out of the feedlots anyways. No, that's going to restaurants. All that stuff goes to restaurants and export. Yep. And nobody knows that when they go down to White's and buy their food, they're not buying the best of the best. They're buying junk. I mean, sometimes they might run a holiday special or something and buy better meat, but all the most of the burgers... Nobody knows where it comes from and why. And that cow goes thousands of miles and ends up back here in a box when she was within a mile of that grocery store to begin with. <laughs> yeah, and that's and it's like that in every rural community, you know. It's I mean, like that everywhere. Probably, there's yeah. there's no traceability for for anything. You know, and you had you're absolutely right. You know, and I think I'll give whites a little bit of credit cuz I think they actually do you know, they do buy larger cuts and then they, and then they cut on site. Then they break them down. Yeah. And I think they even do some of their own grinding, but you know, that's, that's obviously well, yeah, not the model everywhere. Yeah. I don't know there. I'm just using it as an example of, I know what happens when that meat ends up at Walmart, you know, yeah. where it comes from. You know, Walmart, Walmart's not going to go to Kiowa Walker right, and say, Hey, Kiowa Locker, for our Pratt and Alva stores, we want this, this, and this, and this. No, they're going to go to Tyson or to JBS or to Smithfield or Marfrig. I think, I, I think they do most of their sourcing from Tyson, actually, with their beef. Um, they're going to go to Tyson, and they're going to say, Tyson, we're going to buy this much beef from you next year at this price for all of our stores. And Tyson right, says, yeah. okay. Because that, because they know they've got a monopoly. Yeah, did you see that deal about them having two million head gone <laughs> from one of the, one of their suppliers that embezzled two million head, and it took them that long to find it. Yeah, I I, I did That's read about that, and it's really like, and you don't know what to believe, and you know that there's you're talking about the Easter Day deal up in the up in the Pacific Northwest, right? Yep, exactly. Well, you don't really know what to believe. Okay, so it's a family operation. They've got cattle, and they've got grass, and they've got farming, and then they've got a feedlot, and they're all interconnected. Yeah. And then I just think it's a little bit odd, I guess, that um, that the patriarch of that family died in a head-on collision on the highway with one of his farm's trucks. Like right after all this shit broke. Oh, really? Like, like, how does that happen? Okay. So the CEO of Easter Day Farms dies in a car accident. He turns his pickup onto the highway, going the wrong way, and get hit gets hit by an Easter Day Farms semi that was hauling I don't know probably grain or or some other commodity. Uh huh. And he dies. Ah. 
Yeah. And then there's, you know, then there's Tyson saying, well, there's these cattle that don't exist and yeah. And then, and then the guy is conveniently dead. So it really, it really it makes you wonder. Yeah. How far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? <laughs> yeah. How, I mean, yeah. How, how deep does this shit go? I mean, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? I know a lot of stuff turns out that way. The more you, the more you follow it. It makes me not want to dance with corporations. Yeah, for I mean, sure. My, I have family high up in the chain, and it's like I used to think that we were on the same team, and now I see that we're not, and that makes things a little awkward. Yeah, it's you know it's it's hard to talk about some of these issues in certain crowds because uh -huh. you know because people either don't want to listen or they know something that they don't want you to talk about. Right, right. They don't want to answer them. They don't want to answer the hard questions they know you're going to ask. Yeah, like I don't want to mention. I don't want to name any names, but recently I listened to a a feedlot veterinarian speak and it, it was a it was a really great conversation and he used a great quote which i think is actually a bud williams quote you can't fix poor nutrition with a needle right okay i totally get that gotta be organic on some level and then not even 10 minutes later he basically told us that every animal that comes into his feedlot it comes off the truck and gets a shot of antibiotic. Oh yeah. Like, you know, I, I knew it was bad. Okay. You know, you know, it's bad. I think 75, 80% of the antibiotics manufactured by weight go into cattle. Yeah. That's why I had that meeting with this guy that wants to buy my calves off the farm because they've never had antibiotics and they've never had an implant yet. Now he's going to give him an implant, but he's not going to do the antibiotics. I quit giving implants to everything about four years ago once I learned, you know, just simply because you get a premium for not having it. Yeah. Because they want to be the first ones to give it, whoever the next guy is down the chain. Yeah, but they don't. Never, they I don't want the NHTC cattle. They don't want. They don't want the certification. They just want to be the one to put it in there because they want to buy yeah. your smaller calf at a discount because you didn't use the drug. Exposure. Yeah, I hadn't had that exposure yet. Yep, because they want to choose when to put it in that animal. Like, you know, I I, I can get why. I can get why. It you does know? work. <laughs> It'll make them bigger, faster more efficient you know but you're talking 17 loads of corn to finish one semi load of cattle that's ridiculous and that's why they build the feedlots where the corn's raised because it's the, you know it's cheaper to ship the cattle to the corn because the cattle are the higher value product yeah, but you move one semi load of cattle to where the 17 semi loads of corn is instead of shipping corn from iowa you know in a lot of those northern states, yeah, they can grow corn, but the weather makes the cattle less efficient because them cattle are trying to stay warm. That's why Kansas works good in Oklahoma. Until we get a polar vortex like we just right. had. Right, and we're not set up for that. <laughs> but that's, that 
showcases the market manipulation that those guys have is box beef was going up through all that and they find a way to knock fat cattle down when it's no secret that the markets usually love a storm because it disintegrates millions of pounds of beef off the off the cattle because they're walking around trying to stay warm burning calories instead of packing them away on their frame yeah it's a big old chain at least pay us for it i mean that's what got me interested in what the heck's going on is not getting paid for something that i know we should how much money they're making handling them cattle for 24 hours just doing logistics and storage and look it, the checkoff has tricked us has tricked oh, us into growing off. steak <laughs> and paying yeah. us hamburger price. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they've tricked us into. Yeah, and we pay them. Yeah, to screw us. Yeah, I want nineteen forty, nineteen fifty genetics. You know, that are made to grow on grass before they started the corn thing and the frame crap. I, I want I want to grass finish organic and because I want to eat it too. I know that that's what my family needs to eat and then cure me with my cancer stuff. I mean, yeah. So okay, people complain about the taste. Well, that's because you're you're eating basically corn flavored steak. Fat, yeah, yeah. Fat butter, corn flavored fat butter, and. And we you know, know that we're not supposed to eat that stuff. It's not, I mean, it's a, it's a luxury when you go to dinner on a Friday night. It's not stuff you want in your fridge that you feed your family seven days a week like I do. Right. I mean, my, I have customers that like buying fat cattle. So when I have an odd, you know, usually big ones, when I have a load of cattle ready, I'll sort two or three big ones off that are going to sell for the same price as an animal that's 200 pounds lighter. So I put them on corn feeders and sell them to guys that, because that's what the flavor they want when they're buying a, you know, that's a big purchase, a side of beef for a, a half of a beef for a local community family member around here. You know, you're talking about having to come up with a thousand bucks out of your pocket plus, plus processing. Yeah. Okay. So they want that luxury flavor because it's kind of a Cadillac item to have corn-fed beef in your freezer. But if you've had health issues and have awakened to reality, (laughs) (laughs) then you know that's not what you want your kids to eat. You know, that's what I keep in my freezer because that's what we raise. And we do burger or steak or a variation, a breakfast sausage made from goat or something seven days a week. And it needs to be healthier than it is. I don't do implants and I don't do antibiotics with the cattle that I finish, but I still corn finish. Yeah. And that's, I've got the first set of cattle that are a year old now that have been organic grown and it'll be one more year, a whole nother year before they're ready to kill grass finished, but it's an inefficient process because they're so big. It takes a long time and a lot of miles and then you have all that bone that was designed for a feedlot, you know, to carry a feedlot carcass around, not a grass carcass. Right. So I got to get, I got to start over with different cows 
is what I've learned. And that's, that's a big swing for me, you know, to completely change your program on eight or 900 mother cows. Yeah, buddy. I can see how that'd be a big switch. I tell you what, great conversation Brendan and I had, and that wasn't really the end of it that uh, went on for quite a while. And we got on a few rabbit trails that I'd rather not share with everybody else. So just wanted to share this piece of it with you. Thanks for joining me on this little special edition bonus episode, Ranching Reboot. I'm Red Hills Rancher. You guys have a great day.